Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, today is a celebration. Thank you so much. We just hit one million downloads on our on our on our uh, program and five million social media impressions. It's all because of you. It's all because of you, VM Nation. So thank you so much. I love you guys. Guys, this is going to be an amazing episode. We're going to be talking about some amazing things that I love to talk about. Getting healthy physically, mentally, spiritually, and if you write a book, maybe fiscally. So with my, my brother, Pastor Gail, we're going to be talking and having some fun. So, sir, welcome to the show. We finally got you on the show. Thank you, Rich. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me on. It's uh Beautiful day up here in Michigan, a nice, cool day. I love it. Uh, so welcome to the show. Now, first question I have, because if I don't ask, I forget. What is your definition of resiliency? Well, it's being able to bounce back. That is as simple as it gets for me. When you go through something or you have been through something traumatic, are you able to bounce back? And it's kind of like a rubber band. You're stressed, but you don't break being able to bounce back. And for me, um, there's several, you mentioned several things in the introduction, first of all, physically. So um, I forced myself to go to a health center uh, <laughs> five times a week to exercise, to try to get in. Oh, let me show you why that happened. Uh, I was on a mission trip in Costa Rica, and we went into a place called La Carpio, which is a dump where we go minister. And it was my first time. And it went down a place called the steps. I mean, it was steep, over 130 steps, big steps, way to the bottom of this mountain. And then when I tried to get up, come up the hill, I realized I wasn't very resilient, that I was huffing and puffing. And it took me, I had to stop three, four times before I got up the hill. And I said, man, we ain't doing that again like that. I'm going to exercise and get myself in shape to handle that. So then so I've been there about eight times, went down that same mountain, but I'm doing better now and getting back up that mountain. And then the other thing is you talk about spiritual, I think is so important. One of the new habits I've taken on in the past two years, two years ago, the Lord said to me, the amount of prayer you're putting in is not enough for what's to come on the world right now. And so he started to wake me up at 430 in the morning. So I would just naturally wake up. I don't have to set an alarm. The Lord will wake me right up. It's either at 4 or 430 a.m. to get up, get my coffee, get my Bible, go to the couch and begin to seek him for strength for my day. You know what? You need strength. And so I think you can be more resilient if you are in the word and you spent time with the Lord, he's kind of spoke to your heart. And then you go through something where something happens or you come under an attack or you know how life is during the day, things unexpected happen. And if you've been spending time with the Lord, uh, it's always a big help to be able to have that extra overflow on board with you as you go around your day-to-day -day life. And so um, to me, that's what resiliency is all about. Uh, living a life that has margins, margins in it. So in other words, it was my life so crammed that I have no room. Or do I have some margins where if I'm a little stressed out one day, I can back up, I can stop, I can rest, I can take a breath, 
and all that kind of stuff. To me, that's all about being healthy. And there we come with the physical because I'm the direct, I'm the executive director of Spiritual Care Consultants of West Michigan. My partner is Dr. Troy Carlson, where he's a medical doctor in, in Hastings here. And um, this organization or this ministry, I say, was born. It's so funny you use the word born, right? Um, it came about because I was doing a Bible study with doctors that used to be called Pentecost Hospital, then Spectrum Hospital, now Corwell Health. Uh, in Hastings, and Troy, my, my partner, was talking about how he had clients that were having um, uh, physical issues, he said, and that he thought he needed a behavioralist. And I said, you need a spiritual care consultant. And he goes, well, what do you think one would do? And I didn't want to really get into counseling. I didn't really know what one would do. I wanted to do something different in my life. So we started spiritual care consultants uh, 16 years ago. It was me a chair in the corner of his break room. That was it. There was no team. There was no healing center. There was no healing process. That's we, we wrote all that. I wrote all that as we developed over the past 16 years. And now that healing process is called the heart of healing because God's heart is to heal you. At first we worked with adults, you know, the, the adults were doing real well. And then the children started coming in and then I began building a team. Now I have a team of 30 people. Eight of them are employees, but I have a team of 30 people that work with me to help take care of the needs that are coming through here. We meet people personally, and then we meet people on Zoom. So anyone, can, and we don't charge for our services. Can people donate? Absolutely, they can donate to us if they would like. But we don't make it about money. We make it about that person. And so I remember after one healing service, a mom came to me, and she said, uh, you think you could help my son? And now, if you know any things about moms, that could be a very a loaded question. Can you help my son? I said, so tell me what's wrong with your son. And she said, well, he has PTSD really bad. He was in the military. He went on missions. He's been messed up for 20 years. He's been through counseling. He's on 15 psychotropics. He's, he screams all the time at night. He's having terrible troubles. Can you help him? And my big faith-filled question back statement then was, we'll try. Did you like that? We'll try. I mean, you know, you and I both know that if it isn't for the Lord, you're not going to come out of something. You're not going to get the breakthrough that you need if it isn't for the Lord. The best, the best theological, the best psychological method will not heal the depths of the soul. Only Christ who put us and knit us together in our mother's womb. Only he knows how to really put us back together. So I started to see him. I remember when he first came into my office, he had hair down to here. He had, By the way, I can tell his story. He lets me. He had the hair down to here. He had his dog tags on. He sat in the corner of my office with a two liter of Sprite and 15 psychotropics. Downed him down the hatch. And we just sat there and I was looking at him and he was looking at me and I was looking at him. And it kind of reminds you of a country song, you know, and then I, then he said, well, what were you looking at? I said, the guy sitting in front of me was not the guy I was interested in. What I'm really interested in is why did God create you and who are you really? Because if I can help you find that, I can help you find transformation. And so we began to talk in our sessions and I said, what I really need to know from you is what did you go through when you did top secret missions 
that has been storing up in your soul like pus. And so we need to open that thing up and let that stuff out. We need to get to that. But if you don't talk about it, you're just going to get sick. And he said, well, you know, hey, I can't talk about it. I go to Sam Quentin. I said, let's take a walk. He said, well, leave your phones in the room because they can listen in through the phone. We know that's true if people want to listen. And so we left our phones. It was a winter day. We walked out in the middle of a park, blowing and snowing. And I said, what'd you do? And he poured out his heart. And then we knelt in the snow. And we took all that junk, all that pus, all that hurt, all that pain to the cross. And that truly was the beginning of his healing process. You know, up to that point, his wife said, I'll never live with him again. His son said, I don't want nothing to do with him. He's scary because when he snaps, he grabs guns and he waves them around. He scares us. Well, a year and a half later, no more psychotropics. I uh, got his wife back. He got his son back. Sounds like a country song. You're too, bad, yeah. too bad there wasn't a train and a little truck to go with it, but he got everything back. And then he started helping veterans. In the city he lives, he goes down to the homeless shelter and he volunteers and he begins to help them. I remember when I first was helping him, um, I had given him a new pathway CD. Now they're all on, now they're all on our uh, podcast channel, Healing Begins, Spiritual Care. Find it anywhere you get podcasts. But I give him a CD, 80 minutes long, and he come back and he said, well, I got it all done. I said, what'd you do? He goes, I wrote it out word for word. I said, what? Why? He said, well, I was told in the military, you read this manual, you might die. He said, I'm taking this serious. You told me this could help me, so I, I want to I renew my mind. I want to change my thinking. I, I want to do this. So over a period of 15 months, he found a total transformation. Now, was it easy? No. I, you know what I love about him? <laughs> he didn't always use correct English. I mean, <laughs> he's a military man, so... One day we were doing inner healing and he got a vision of Jesus. He goes, oh my word, he's incredible. He's got armor on, he's in a chariot, he's surrounded by angels. And then he said, he is one bad, mm, mm, mm. I can't even say it on the air. And I started laughing because it was so funny. I said, if Jesus is so awesome, why do you need your guns? And that was a day he took his guns, he locked them up in the safe, and he gave his wife the key so that she could feel safe in his home, knowing that the guns just couldn't be accessed anytime they wanted to be. And then he said to me from time to time, well, are you going to go do an event? You need a bodyguard? I said, no, I don't need no bodyguard. And now he actually donates, he gives, and he takes care of his family. He takes care of his young children. But he was willing to go on a healing journey. And you know what? I praise God for him because he got a lot back. His wife, his kids, his son, everybody everybody like that came back into his life. And they love him. And they, they said, wow, uh, he has really changed. He's not the same man. And by the way, his hair isn't down here no more. It's all shaved up real short. And he did all that on his own. He, you know. All right. So, so let me ask you a question because... You know, I'm, I'm as everybody knows, I'm not a professional whatsoever. I'm only a ninth grade dropout. Um, have 1,100 interviews, read over 6,000 books. Uh, but I found out when a, a person acts out, 
it's usually because of trauma that happens between the ages of three and 13. Then you add sometimes alcohol to the mix. Then you add drugs to the mix and it becomes the perfect storm. And then a lot of times, because a lot of military personnel, a good portion of military personnel were abused as children. Mm -hmm. um, When you say the word God or father, it it shuts people down because they're like, they totally, or I was, I was that way a, a lot. Um, and still, I it's still when I started praying and called that call God Daddy, that's when everything changed for me. But a lot of people have a lot of veterans and first responders have that shield up whenever mm-hmm. you mention God or Father. So mm-hmm. how 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 have you when you talk to people have you noticed that also? Well, there's always a shield against that from time to time with different people, and, and, and no two people are the same. So there's no cookie cutter approach. One of my goals, even though they have a shield up, is to set them up to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, to have an encounter uh, with him in, the, in session. It doesn't always happen right away. It might take a number of sessions. Yes, uh, I did um, I did a critical stress incident debriefing advanced and uh, a basic, and I did it on the site of a terrorist attack. I was at 9-11 two weeks afterwards. And so if you go to the police and the fire department, they're their own people. They're their own community. They're going to be more uh, walled off from a person like mm-hmm. me because they don't know me. Same way probably with military personnel because they're a family together. So the people coming in for help have got to want to get the help. They, If you don't want to be there in a person's office, then the best thing is not to be there. Because if you don't want to be there, it's not going to do you much good. So we meet people where they're at, and we just work with them. And and sometimes they have walls a mile thick, and sometimes they're thinner. And it's just it's a it's a process getting over them, if that makes any sense. And then if they've been abused at the age three, three to five, if they've had that then they, there might be what I would call splits in the personality or areas of the, where they're like shattered a little bit because of the trauma. So that's when I might bring in somebody else with another specialty, like especially if we got drugs and alcohol in the mix. We might need a couple other modalities to assist us because one person can't do it all. And so working together as a team, as a community to bring healing. And so... Uh, Maybe we're not for everybody, but maybe we can help some people. And the Lord sends us out to help some people, right? And sometimes we can help a lot of people. There's some people we might not be able to help. And and that's okay. But for the ones we can help, then we want to do the best that we can. Because we believe the Lord's coming back someday. And I believe it's soon. But at the same time, there's a and right now with the military, with everything going on, with the wars, with the world's a hot mess, uh, there's gonna be a lot more need for healing and help for people that have been through traumatic circumstances in our nation and in the world and in the military. So I don't have answers for all that. When walls are up, I try to figure out why they're up and then figure out is there a way. How can we work with that to get through that or get around that? And it may take a bit of time. 
Well, one thing that, that I, I like about you um, is that your voice is very soothing. For me, like, I like people like my favorite, one of my favorite pastors, Charles Stanley. Oh, yes. Um, I, you know, I love Joel. Um, and I love, you know, TD, but he gets a little bit wild. And, you know, um, but for me, if I want to settle down, I want somebody that I, I can li- I can talk to that it's mellow because a lot of us, you know, we're always on the run. We're always going. And sometimes we just need to talk to somebody that's going to just bring the level down in the room sometimes. You know what I mean? And I think that's why you're, you're great at what you do is because you have that kind of personality where you automatically, somebody walks in a room, you give them a handshake or a hug, and then you start talking and it just brings the level down in the room. Well, you got to really be able to do that, first of all, because when people come in, uh, they don't know what to do They're, You know, so the other thing I did to encourage people is I wrote the book, God Moments, Amazing Encounters with the Divine in Everyday Life. There's a lot of people out there today that need encouragement, that need healing. And maybe they're even struggling with their faith in God. These are my personal stories of my experiences with the Lord. And one of the reasons I wrote it, I said to the Lord one day, I don't want to write these stories down because you always got to talk in the first person. And he said to me, well, those are not your stories, they're mine. And the reason for writing the stories, what did Jesus say? If you don't believe in me, at least believe in the works that I do because they testify of me. And so our Lord is still working today. He's still healing today. He's still helping people today. And I'm working on the next book right now. I I wrote a line there and I said, I'm not trying to convince you that signs and wonders are real. I'm trying to convince you that Jesus is real. There's a difference. We don't follow signs and wonders. They follow us, but they point to somebody. They point to Jesus. And he is the true healer as it relates to being able to take someone's life and transform it and uh, change it and turn it around. So um, the book, God Moments, is in English, and it's in Spanish. And so I had one of the best translators in Spanish translate the book and put it in Spanish for our Spanish partners. It's on Amazon.com, God Moments. And so um, we all need stories. If you're hurt and you're sick, you need encouragement. That, that God is with you, that he loves you, and he wants to help you. To me, that's what this is all about, okay? And, you know, I'm not a Sean Hannity or whoever, someone famous who gets online and all of a sudden they sell a million books. That's not me. Mine are just for the people that God wants to direct them to. And so the mom thought that her son was hopeless, that there was no way he was going to recover, but now they got their son back. Okay, he recovered. He bounced back. He was resilient. Um, he uh, had been involved with a lot of things. In fact, uh, when he was out three uh, three miles behind enemy lines, he told me who was answering the telephone. Um, and it was so funny. One of my clients was a guy that answered his call. He had top security clearance. And so, um, so yeah, the, and there was another guy. He was in war. He was in, in Nam, and he came in for healing. He was an older gentleman. He had been in close proximity to a bomb exploding. So he had witnessed body parts flying, 
He witnessed the smell, the smoke, the vibrations that come through the air from an explosion. And we went through inner healing on that. And he got healing from that. And that was a big thing for him. That's what he came for. He goes, I need healing from this. I got to get this out of my system. Because by the way, PTSD is real. Mm -hmm. You can literally snap one day and relive a whole event right in front of your eyes. Yep. And, 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 that's people, and people tell me that it's not. And then I say, do you ever remember a song comes on and, and when you, when, and you can remember back to when you were a kid or a certain smell of a certain, uh, a cake or a pie can bring you right back to being a kid. Yes. They, the same, the same senses that, that sense PTSD. There was a show on cable TV I watched for quite a while called Secretary of State. In mm -hmm. one of the shows that she was in a foreign country with a leader in a in a like a RPG came in the building and exploded and they were all on the floor, knocked down. They went through this explosion. And one day she was back at her office and literally uh, it showed her reliving the very same experience like it was actually happening. And I thought, boy, that is a good picture of PTSD. That is a really good picture. And can you imagine how that messes the mind, messes the soul, messes with the body? And that's where we need the Lord. Lord, we need to come and take this out of that person's soul. Because this is in the soul, not just the mind. If you understand the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless to the coming of our Lord. And the soul is the seat of the intellect, will, and emotions. And so you treat the body and you treat the mind, but you don't treat the soul. You have a partial treatment. So you never truly get to the point that you want to be. So in order to really heal from something, you got to deal with the wounds in the soul. By the way, you can't see them, but you sure can feel them. And they sure can affect you. And if you don't get healing eventually, all those memories and emotions cause chemical changes and reactions in your mind, which cause eventually physical sicknesses and illnesses like Epstein-Barr, fibromyalgia, irritable bowel, so on and so forth. And what I say to people is, if you want help and you want it sincerely and you're willing to do the work, you can receive healing where they say you can't. And so that's the thing I would encourage people. I just would encourage you. So my book now, is a book. Of, go ahead. You know, also I want to talk about is a lot of veterans and first responders, you know, we see and we do stuff that most normal people should never should never see or do. So a lot of us, and, and I don't really heard about it. I don't, it's not really talked about much except for maybe this show. Um, but in this show, we talk a lot about moral injury. You know, because sometimes maybe it's not the physical, but if you had to, if you took somebody's life, or if, yeah. if you had to take somebody's life, or if you lost somebody while you were over there and you came home and they didn't, that's an injury you can't see. You know, if you could see a guy, if a guy got his arm blown off or leg blown off, but you really don't see the moral injury that first responders and veterans see. So talk about that a little bit. So that's another thing where you need the Lord's help because that's real. Uh, uh, because I went to 9-11, I was there two weeks afterwards. There were fighter fighters and police officers who said, my friend survived. Why did I survive? So there's almost like a, they go through a survivor's guilt and all this stuff. 
So yeah, that stuff is real, especially if you are doing top secret missions behind enemy lines and the assets were people you were taking out. Even though we know they're the enemy, that's still a human life and that affects you. Maybe you were a sniper and your job was to take out the enemy. At the end of the day, that stuff really affects your mind and affects your soul. And that's where I believe the blood of Jesus comes in. That's where his healing comes in. That's where taking it to the cross comes in, where you can just lay it down. You got to lay it down and you can invite him to come help you. Because not only is there healing of the soul, you got to work at retraining the mind. How you've been thinking, the way you've been thinking has to change at the same time. I work with a friend in Grand Rapids at Set Free Ministries called Dean Vandermeer. He's got a they got a program called Warrior Set Free where they work with people coming out of the military. They're our friends too. So we kind of work in tandem together a little bit. We refer people to them, we refer people to us. We kind of go back and forth because it's not about us. It's about getting people the best healing that they can. And if it means we need to refer them somewhere for a season, then that's where they need to go. You know, so since we don't charge for our services, uh, seeing someone isn't going to make us any more money because we're at no cost. I raise all the funds for that for all my staff. I raise the funds for that. So, um, yeah, so it's a journey. And that's real, by the way. Those type of injuries are real. Even I tell people it's much easier to heal a broken arm than it is to heal your soul. I can see your arm. That can be fixed. But your soul is a whole nother question. That's going to take the, that's why we're so dependent on the Lord. I might have degrees and I might have a Bible college degrees and been through all this stuff. And I was a trauma chaplain for 18 years. So I've seen things in trauma settings that people shouldn't see. I've seen the floor soaked with blood and I was standing in it with my black shoes on. I've seen an ambulance that pulled up to the bay with blood running out of the back. You know, I've seen stuff not... You know, I watched a movie the other day of World War II, and I just thought, man, how did these guys ever survive with all the trauma they went through? And that's why we do need the Lord. We need a process where the Lord could come in that process and help that person. I love it. So before we get any further, I want to thank our, our sponsor, as you see below, um, Max Fab Consultings. Guys, did you know that 98% of Americans are protected by the 2%? that raise their right hand and say they're going to protect this nation. Only 2% of the population have ever served this country. And so the, the military are the best of the best, but we are also the ultimate minority. So also, if you're a CEO, CFO, if you want to hire a good employee, hire a veteran, because he knows he's going to get there on time. He's going to work until the job is complete. He's going to do the right job every time. And also, if you get in touch with, David at Max Fab, he's going to teach you how to get hundreds of thousands of dollars for the government to do the upgrades for all your facilities at zero cost for you. So, guys, if you want to get your business veteran ready, reach out down below, talk to David Nordell, or just write veteran, and I'll get back to you. All right. So, Pastor, let me ask you a question because besides me being with, GNC, with, with the military for 30 years, I mean, 23, I was with GNC for 30. And I realized that if somebody is off physically, 
mentally or spiritually, the other three are the other two are going to be off. If one is off, they're all going to be off. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, um, like I believe when I got hurt, I believe I was going to be healed. So what I did is I actually went and listed all the healing passages mm-hmm. and I wrote them all down. And, and every day I would pray the healing passages and I, I'm a big Christian hard rock fan. I'm a big striper fan where it says by his stripes, we are, we are healed. And I believe that the Lord wants us healed. So, so, but I believe that, like you said earlier, if you're off physically, you're going to be off mentally and spiritually or any of the other, any combination of the three, if you're off one, all three are going to be off. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Yes, I am talking about that. If you're off of the one, the other three are going to be off. And the other thing is that I, I like something you brought up because it's critical because you are, you've listed all the healing scripture is so you're standing on faith for your total healing. I mean, you're standing there. And working in a trauma center and seeing busted bodies and wounded people that came in, uh, I can't tell you how many people I pray for for healing. Some are healed. Some went to be with Jesus. That was the ultimate healing. And some, their healing was a process. And more than not, I see people's healing as a process. Now, I do have seen what I would qualify some miracles, and I put that on the smaller side. For to me, a miracle is something is there one day, gone the next. That's a miracle. But most people are healing, healed in a process or a sped up process where the Lord is involved. And so I think I answered your question. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I sidetracked a little bit there. Uh, but um, there was a lady once. She was in the hospital and she was 46 years old, had a brain tumor in the center of the brain and the and the nurses said, Chaplain, we think you should go visit her. She's uh, got to have surgery. If she don't have surgery, she's going to die. And her face is hurting because of the pressure the tumor is causing. So I, I go, all right, I go visit. So I walk in the door, and the lady, first thing the lady says to me, I've never had anyone greet me this way. I'm the chaplain. She said, I want to get saved. Oh, pray after me. I just, I just let her in a prayer because that's what she wanted. She goes, now will you baptize me? And I'm like. Uh, well, okay. So I went to the nurse's station. And I got a styrofoam cup and I put some water in it. I said, normally I'm a dunker, but I said, I'm going to, I'll baptize you. And I said, now that I've, we've, you've gotten right with God, you got baptized. I said, what if uh, I anoint you with oil for healing? Are you familiar with that? And she said, yes. I said, I'm going to anoint you in the name of Jesus. I can put my hand on the center of your head. We're going to pray. And, uh, and uh, I'm, I might pray in a language you don't understand. Are you okay with that? She said, no problem. So I'm praying. And all of a sudden she said, are you a healer? Uh, I said, no, ma'am. Jesus is the only healer. I continue to pray. And she said, are you a healer? I said, no. Why? She goes, all the pain and the pressure just left my head. I said, what? She goes, yeah, I'm supposed to have surgery tomorrow. So I had to leave the room. I said, I'll come visit you tomorrow and see how you're doing in, in neurological intensive care. Came back the next day. She's sitting up smiling. I said, you don't look like a lady that had brain surgery. She said, well, he opened me up in a little little bit and realized there was no tumor. And then he was mad and said, well, what happened yesterday? She said, well, the chaplain came by and anointed me with oil. And he goes, that'll do it. And he left the room. And she said, are you a healer? I said, no. I said, only keep your eyes on Jesus. 
and forget you ever met me. And I left the room, never saw her again. That was it. But then there's been other times when I have prayed for people and healing has been a process. And that's what I see a lot. Healing being a sped up process. And so uh, my dad one time, um, he was in a hospital. He had had a procedure in the spine where they put plastic into the spine to fuse, fuse the vertebrae. But when they did, they didn't know they had introduced a MRSA staph infection to his spine. And so about three days later, my dad is home and he is in a lot of pain. So they take him to a smaller hospital. And I remember I was in a Bible study that night. They take him to a smaller hospital and the hospital took one x-ray of his spine and sent him right up to the trauma center in Grand Rapids. And my brother called me. He said, you need to get up here quick. Dad's in bad shape. They took an x-ray of the spine and they found it was wrapped and enveloped in MRSA staph infection. I go, well, that can't be good. So I run to the hospital and I got up to the hospital to see the surgeon come out to talk to my mom. And my brother was there. And my sister was there. And the surgeon said, well, do you want us just to keep them comfortable? Now, a chaplain knows what that means. They want to let him die. And I looked at that surgeon. And I said, no. What can you do to treat this infection? And he said, well, I could give him a cocktail of antibiotics. I said, you do that. We're going to do what we do. And I said, come on, brother. And my sister said, come in this room. I'm going to anoint dad with oil. And he was out of his head. He was on Dilaudid. He didn't know where he was at. And I shook him. I said, dad, this ain't your time to die. And I anointed him and prayed over him and laid hands on him. Well, my dad was old school. He was in the Korean War. Well, he, he was in Korea, the end of Korea uh, with the army. He was in the Big Red One. And so my dad didn't talk about spiritual things. He was closed up more. So he still no visible change at 11 at night. At 4 a.m., he said to my brother, I can see what you can't. My brother said, what are you talking about? He goes, there's angels walking to my bed. He passed out. Pain was gone. The next morning, the doctors couldn't believe it. Somehow that MRSA was miraculously leaving his body. It was leaving the blood. I mean, it had gone way down and was leaving. And two weeks later, he went home. And he lived another seven years with us. All right. But that was more of a healing, not necessarily a miracle, because God did it over time. And so, yeah, my dad was in the big red one. His biggest story of the war that he liked is when he got the bayonet, his lieutenant. <laughs> I should probably explain that. And uh, on the guard base, if someone snuck onto your base back then, you're allowed to shoot him. And so my dad was guarding the base in Germany and he could see his lieutenant coming in the dark. And my dad was an old country boy and he stood there in the side of the shadows and waited for the lieutenant to get up to where the lieutenant thought he had him. And then my dad put the tip of the bayonet in his back and said, put your hands in the air. And the guy goes, you will put your gun down. I'm your lieutenant. My dad said, you better put your hands in the air. And the guy wouldn't do it. So he stuck the tip of that in his back. And he put the guy in the hospital. And the, the head of the commander of the base goes, what are you doing? Sneaking up on Arnold Crock. He could have shot and killed you. And they shipped him off there. But my dad was in the big red one. So he shot. Right, so, let me, so let me ask you a question because, um, you know, a lot of people get bogged down with, I, you know, I got to say the Lord's prayer. I got to do this. I got to say 750 uh, Hail Marys. I have to get baptized when 
Jesus was on the cross and that one gentleman said, I believe you. I believe in you. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have to go through all those other changes. All he had to do was believe. So do you uh, believe that sometimes all you have to do is say, yes, you are the Lord and I'm not him and I believe in you? Well, think about what the thief really said. Here's exact words. Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Right from the heart. And Jesus, like you said, looked at him and said, this day you will be with me in paradise. So remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom tells me one thing about that thief. He had been somewhere listening to Jesus. Otherwise, how would he know he had a kingdom? That thief, I think, heard and knew something about Jesus. And when he said, remember me, Lord, he was saying, Lord, I believe in you. And if you say to Jesus from the bottom of your heart like that thief, Lord, would you remember me today? I believe in you. The Lord will take you up on that offer. Now, to me, I, I love the thief because... He didn't get a chance to get baptized. <laughs> he broke all the rules. All he said is the, remember me, Lord. And Jesus took him up. He said, you got it. And can you imagine the thief? He arrives in paradise that day and meets Jesus in heaven. Wow. So I, I pray for those of you that are watching right now. Maybe had a hard time with religion. Maybe you've had a hard time with church. Just say, Lord, I believe in you. Remember, would you remember me over here? Yo, Lord, I'm over here. The Lord knows right where you're at. He hasn't lost your address. He loves you. He knows your struggle. If you come to him and say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Be my savior. It's all it takes. Open up the door of your heart. You know, Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What's key about that verse is if someone's knocking, they can't come in until you open the door. So when he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he actually opened his heart to Jesus. And Jesus took that invitation. It will be nice someday to meet that thief. All right. All right. So then, you know, let me ask you another question, because um, I was talking with somebody who was very important to me yesterday. And we were talking about forgiveness mm -hmm. and how you know, I've been in recovery. Now I'm going on 35 years come January 1st. And something that I learned from being in recovery is the three pillars of forgiveness is one. You have to ask for people to forgive you for the people you've hurt. Number two is forgive those that hurt you. But the hardest part is forgiving yourself. And like I said, I was talking to this important person in my life and she was struggling with something that happened 50 years ago mm -hmm. and i said to her i said did you ask jesus forgiveness 50 years ago she said yes i said then you were forgiven at that very moment you were forgiven you've been carrying this cross for 50 years something that you've been forgiven already and it also says that you know once God forgives a, a sin, he can't remember it again. It's gone. It's, it's over. Mm -hmm. So a lot of us, like we're talking about, again, with that moral injury, a lot of us are holding on to stuff 
that we could just let go if we just said, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. And I don't want to hold on to this anymore. I want to let this go and just let him have it because he's stronger than us. So talk about the forgiveness part. I, I love that. We say there's four key elements in forgiveness. One, people often judge God for things he never did. So, Lord, forgive me for judging you. Because if I'm judging him, it's hard for him to heal me. We live in a broken world, a world with free will, so bad things happen to good people. Two, I need to forgive those that have hurt me. How? By an act of my will. First, because I don't feel like forgiving them. I'd rather give them this. So, Lord, with your help, I forgive. But the other thing that we teach is forgiveness is not a one-time event, but a process. So when these meet, when these feelings naturally try to come back, you say, God, I'll give it back to you. I give that back to you, Lord. I'm not going to hang on to it because it'll try to come back. So, Lord, I forgive. Act on my will. The, uh, two things. Um, hurting people hurt people. So, Lord, forgive me for hurting others out of my own pain and hurt. And the hardest person to forgive is me. What are we doing? We say stuff like, I'm so dumb. I'm so stupid. I'm an idiot. That's false identity statements. That's not who you are. That's how you feel, but that's not who you are. And so we use I am cards. I am God's child. I am beautifully created. I am accepted. You know, if anybody wants an I am card, the first 20 people can send an email to me and we'll mail one of these. This is a great tool to have. I can't figure out when I'm in the center. This is a great tool to have to carry with you. And now the thing about forgiveness is key is dealing with shame and condemnation, knowing that God has forgiven you and he's forgotten it and you can't forgive yourself means you're being harder on yourself than God is. And if you don't let go of the past, you can't go to your future that God has for you hanging on to your past. And so you got to break the shame and the condemnation cycle that is set up around this piece. And the way you do it is realize I'm not only forgiven, he's forgotten it. It's done. It's never going to come up again on the day of judgment. That is gone. I love this song. My, my sins are washed away. My sins are washed away. And they are gone. They are washed away by the blood of Jesus. I'm so thankful for that. And so Dealing with the shame, because what happens is the enemy comes in with shame and condemnation, and he tries to remind you who you once were. Well, you have to remind him who God created you to be. This is who you are. I am God's child. I am complete in Christ. I am peaceful. I am beautifully created. I am Christ's friend. I am accepted. And these will take some time to believe. At first, you're going to say, I don't believe half of it. That's because you need a revelation of who. God created you to be and who you are as his kid. And that's going to make the difference of the world. So we say forgiveness is not a wanted event, but a lifestyle. So you're going to walk in it. You're going to put people, we call it putting people back on God's hook every day. But also we say healing is not a one-time event, but a process. The same feelings and the same hurt emotions you lay at the cross one day. When they try to come back, lay them back at the feet of Jesus and ask him for more healing in your soul. Don't take them back. Lay them back at the feet of Jesus. Because what we tend to do is we go like, Lord, I forgive. Five minutes later, we got it. We pick it back up. Why? 
because that's how we're used to dealing with things. Well, you know, something you mentioned, um, because I'm a big, I believe in self, you know, I believe in, in talking about self. Um, like if say Prince Charles, you know, if you're their kid, you're expected to have favor. If mm -hmm. you are the president's kid in the United States, they're expected to have favor. Where me, I tell people, I'm a son of God. Mm -hmm. So no matter what I do in life, I expect favor because my father owns it all. That doesn't yeah. mean I own it all. Like for me, I know in this world, I don't own anything. The Lord lets me use it. He lets me be a steward of it. I don't own it. But I also, in that same vein, if he's going to let me use the Toyota, he's going to let me use a sports car. If he's going to let me live in a regular house, he's going to let me borrow the beach house because I'm his son and I'm giving him all the glory. So I think people, when you say, well, I'm a Christian, you're, they think you're supposed to be downtrodden. You're supposed to be pious. Mm -hmm. But no, we're supposed to be full of joy. We're supposed to, you know, enjoy life. You know, we, there are the fruits of the spirits. But, you know, the one that we also forget a lot is long-suffering. They forget that that's part of the yeah. fruits of the spirit, you know. But I think if, we're children, patience. Children, if we're children of God, we should never be broke. We should never be depressed. We should never be angry. Because even, even Paul said, you know, no matter, and I'm always paraphrasing, but you know, even Paul said that no, no matter where I'm at, I'm okay. I'm grateful for wherever I'm at. And so, you know, talk about that is just <laughs> if you're a child of God, that we need to start acting like our Father owns it all. Well, not only that, if we're a child of God, we should have something that other people want. Are they going? Are they going to want to be? Uh... Come next to a lemon-sucking, grapefruit-eating person. Nothing wrong with lemons and uh, grapefruits. But if you're happy, you're joyful, and you're living in the land of peace, and you you got all this happiness going on, they're allowed to ask you, why are you so happy? How can you? How could you go through that storm you went through and have peace? How is that ever possible? Then that's the doorway for you to talk about your relationship with Jesus, not your religion but your personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. Because that's what gives me strength. That's what gives me my fuel for the day. When I got up this morning, well, I woke up at four, but I really got up at five because I could go in a little later today. The whole idea is to fill up because we should be happy. And if we are the king's kids, which it says we are, then we carry the favor of the Lord with us. And we have to be careful with the things that we're saying. If you're saying, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm going to be sick, and you're going to get sick. If you say you're a no good, blankety blank, that's how you're going to act. And so we need to say what God says about us rather than saying what we feel at times. Now, I know your feelings are real, but take the hurtful feelings to the cross. Give them to the Lord and ask for more healing in your soul. Because healing is not a one-time event, but a process. It's like peeling an onion and God takes us in layers. And, you know, one thing, and I talk about it all the time, is that your mind will lie to you. You know, mm -hmm. it'll tell you things that you're not. You know, like a lot of people deal with imposter syndrome. You know, so, and I, and I think that's something that you're, that 
that's what you're talking about. So the last couple minutes, you know, tell us how can we support your mission? How could we pick up your books? And how can we get involved? Especially if you're working as a, you know, you're you're not, um, you're you're helping everybody else at no cost to the people that need help. So how can we support the mission? Well, let me share about the book. So I have a book out called The Unexpected Call. It's about my trip to 9-11. And this book is called God Moments. And it is Amazing Encounters with the Divine in Everyday Life. You can find this on Amazon.com. Amazon.com. If you want to make a donation, you can actually go to spiritualcareconsultants.com and hit the, the donate button. We're a 5013C nonprofit organization and you can go there and you can make a donation if you would like and also at spiritualcareconsultants.com you can uh, get information on our services and what we have to offer we also have a podcast site healing begins spiritual care find it on spotify google amazon anywhere you get your podcast and all of our tools are on there i think we have a hundred and 25 podcasts that are up right now. And we have the media site, which is www.s as in Sam, c as in cat, c as in cat, healingbegins.com, where you can watch testimony videos about what we, where we've been and, you know, what we're doing. So if you want the books, amazon.com, and I'm giving 10% of all royalties back to our missions programs to Costa Rica and Honduras to feed the poor. So feel free to pick up the books. And um, yeah, so that's how you can, and my website for my books are gailcrockbooks.com. Again, it's gailcrockbooks.com, just like my name is spelled on the screen and you can read more and see more media interviews and stuff like that. So that would be the basic ways that uh, people can get a hold of us and support us. I love it, brother. And I'm so grateful that we finally got together and hang out. I'm truly grateful for you guys. So make sure you check out, just check out his website, check out the books. Um, guys, as you know, the t-shirt I wear every day says today I decide. And I got that from Joel Osteen. That's something he talks about is every day we get up, we get to make a decision to be the victim or to be the victor. And if you guys are watching this show, you guys are no longer victims. You're victors. And I love you guys. Thank you so much. You guys, without you, we wouldn't be in the top 0.5% of all podcasts in the world. And guys, if you have first time watching, check out verticalmomentumpodcast.com. That's where you can pick up the t-shirts, hats, swag, books, and every 100% of the proceeds go to help people struggling with PTSD and homelessness. So we make no money off of it. We're just trying to pay it forward. So, Pastor, I just want to say, brother, thank you so much. I'm so grateful, and I, I do wanted I do wanted to give a big shout out to Julie. Like I said, without her putting us together, we wouldn't be able to do this. So thank her so much for putting us together. All right, thank you very much. All right, guys, remember have a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your family. Hug your kids a little bit tighter because remember, there's always going to be a last time. So make sure you're enjoying your family and loving on them at all times. I love you guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Remember, vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. I love you guys. Amen. Have a great week. Pastor, have a great week. All right. Bye.
Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as a comeback coach. Guys, today is going to be amazing. We're still celebrating 1 million downloads, 5 million social media impressions, all from a guy with a ninth grade education that's 80% blind. Not too damn bad. And it's all because of you, VM Nation. Thank you for showing up in force every day. Guys, if you're you're watching this episode, you're going to want to watch till the end. We're going to, Devin is actually going to give you some um, three steps to help improve your visibility as a CEO, entrepreneur, and a podcaster. And he has over, and I don't curse on the show, but holy fuck, he's got 33 million followers on just on TikTok. We're going to talk about that. So, guys, if you want to be known, if you want to be seen, because, guys, if you don't know, podcasting is the new TV, it's the new radio. And if you're not on it, you're losing. So we're going to be talking about my friend Devin. He's a veteran. He's a uh, he's he's everything. He's everything I would love to be if I was a young man again. Truly amazing. A, a, a guy I met through for a friend of ours, a, a mutual friend of ours, Tanner. Amazing dude. So and he's also a veteran. So I want to thank him for his service. So Devin, my brother, welcome to the show. Richard, it, it, it is really a pleasure. Now, I have to be honest with you. One of the things that that when I started to get on social media, I saw that there was this really famous guy on the internet, and his name was Devin Rodriguez. And that is not me that you're talking about with 33 million followers. That I, I don't know if he's my cousin, my brother. I wish I could take credit for those 33 million, but I can't, Richard. <laughs> So my brother, so, you know, before we even hop on and talk about what we're going to talk about, let, you know, what is your definition of resiliency? Um, because, you know, we're both army guys, oh, 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 um, and we have our own definitions of resiliency, especially after being, you know, after being in the military, raising our hands, going to boot and all that stuff. So what is your definition of resiliency? I think for me, Richard, resiliency is being willing and able to continue to go without knowing for certain the end result. That's really what I think resiliency is, because I think if you knew what the end result was, then what's the point of being resilient? Then it would just be easy. So for me, it's the, when you know that you want to overcome something or there's a challenge you're facing or there's something that you want, but there's some uncertainty in the process. And I think resiliency is what happens when you show up every day and continue to move forward, despite not knowing for certain the end result. I love it. So now if somebody would see you now, because like I've been stalking you on every social media platform, um, I love your, I love what you're doing. But if they would see you in your uniform right now, you're smiling, you got, you got the big grin, you're hanging out with superstars and celebrities. but it's not always been unicorns, rainbows. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about where you come from, where'd you grow up, and how did you become the force that you are today? Yeah. 
Rich, I grew up in New York City, Queens, New York. Uh, we were talking before the show, and, and Richard told me he's from New Jersey. I said, guys, I'm, I'm sorry, Rich, but somebody has to live in Jersey. Not everybody could be from New York. I, I got to bust your chops, Rich. But uh, yeah, yeah, but all the, all, the, all the good rappers, they all come from New York. Yeah, this is true. This is true. And the good pizza, too. OK, I mean, we'll give, yeah. give us some credit here. So grew up in Queens, New York, Rich. And uh, for about six years of my life, from the time I was in second grade to the time I was in eighth grade, that's really where my definition of resilience came from, uh, because every day for six years, I was faced with bullying. And there might be some people listening to this right now who went through some times in their life where uh, you just didn't enjoy waking up every day whether it be because of the job you were in, whether because of the spouse you were with, or maybe you were being bullied just like I was. And um, man, I just remember one day, Rich, as I was um, in fifth grade, I went to the park and I used to be terrified to go to the park because every day that I did, uh, I, it was inevitable that I would be beaten up. So I remember one day I was in the park and I was about to leave the park and I just took a video on my camera the other day because I've, I've had a record-breaking month in my business. And I, and I stood just last week on the very spot on that day in fifth grade where I was in the fetal position, just being beaten up by these five bullies. And I went home on that day and I remember walking up the stairs and my parents came out because they heard me coming and they said, Devin, what, what happened? And I told them, mom, dad, I got beaten up. And they said, son, we want to transfer you to another school. We don't want you to be around this anymore. We need to move you out of the situation. You know, are you willing to transfer to go to another school? And this was where my resilience foundation, what I'll call it, this is where it was formed. And I stood there and I just paused. And I don't know if anybody's ever had the experience that's listening, but you said something, but you don't know why you said it. You don't know why you did it. And all I did was look at my parents and I said, mom, dad, I'm not going anywhere. And they, huh? And for the next three years, I continued to be bullied. But here's where my definition of resilience came from. Like you asked, Richard, I said, it, it is the ability to continue to go forward despite not knowing the end result. See, I knew in that moment that if I would have given in to my parents and said, yeah, transfer me, I would have allowed the bullies to determine my future for me. But in that moment, without me even realizing it as a child, what I told myself in that moment was, I am the one that will determine my future for me. Over the next three years, it was really hard, but here's where it all comes together. In the eighth grade year, I was nominated school president by the very same kids that beat me up that day. And the reason why I celebrate something so small like being nominated president is because to me, that was resilience. The ability to show up day after day, not knowing if it was ever going to get better. But here's what I realized about resiliency is that when you are willing and able to be resilient every single day, then there's going to come a day where you look back and you say it was all worth it. And for me, that was that day. And it implanted in my mind that whatever I go through, as long as I just outlast what I'm going through, it's inevitable that I win. It's just like one of my mentors, Tom Bilyeu. He says, success is a game of attrition. You just have to be willing to outlast everybody else. So that's when I developed that mentality. And throughout the years, it's been really tough uh, at certain points. I'll fast forward to when I graduated college. There was a lot that happened between eighth grade and college, but we don't yeah, have what, that what much. College, what college did you go to? I went to St. John's University in Queens, New York. Yeah, I, I stayed in Yep, yeah, I stayed in New York. All, all I stayed in New York all the way through college, and then I commissioned into the uh, into the army as an officer in 2020. Um, I went to Army Ranger School, which, as an officer in the army, especially in the infantry, you're expected to go to Ranger School and you're expected to pass Ranger School. Well, Rich, I failed Ranger School on day one. 
But I'm not sure. Maybe there's someone listening that has gone through a failure or a setback, but they felt like God was speaking to them. And what God was saying to them was, this happened for a reason. And I didn't know what that reason was. But weirdly enough, I didn't feel devastated that I failed. I didn't feel like my world was ending. I felt like something greater was coming. Sure enough, that greater was about two weeks later, I was on a an app called Clubhouse, which was a new audio app that was out at the time. My childhood yep. hero, what enabled me to get over my bullying was listening to motivational tapes and videos. And one of those people for me was Les Brown. He was my childhood hero. So I go on Clubhouse for the very first time and guess who I see on Clubhouse hosting a room? I see Les Brown. That's like seeing a superhero like, oh my God, this is Les Brown. Oh my God, oh my God. I started fangirling totally. So I click on the room and I go start listening to Les Brown. And my dream at the time was I wanted to be a big motivational speaker. And then he started to talk and he was telling he's telling about like his storytelling secrets and all this stuff. And then finally he says, well, I'm also opening up a community that if anybody wants to learn how to share their message, tell their story, I'm gonna train you in a small group setting. And it's just gonna cost $297 a month. Now, mind you, I'm 22 years old at the time. I just graduated college. I just bought a house. I just bought a car. And I heard $297. And I said, oh, $297. I had never invested money in coaching, nothing. I was like, no, Les, I really want to do it, but it's too expensive. So I called up my dad because he's the guy that I go to to kind of consult decisions. And I said, Dad, you know Les Brown? He said, of course I know Les Brown. I said, well, he has this coaching program he's offering, and I really want to do it. But, Dad, there's a problem. He said, what's the problem, son? I said, it's $297 a month. And he says, you want me to lend you the money? I said, no, Dad, I don't. And he turned to me, and this is one of those defining moments of resiliency. He said, Devin, figure it out. And I took out my credit card, and I held it out in front of me like this, and I just stared at it, and I asked myself this question. I said, are my goals and my dreams worth it? And I said, yeah, they are. And I put that $297 a month on a credit card that had 34% interest that I got when I was 17 years old. Do not ask me why I got that credit card, Richard. Do not ask me. I do not know. But I say all of that to say this. That was the turning point of my life because in two weeks time, I got on a call and it was supposed to be an onboarding session with somebody on Les Brown's team. I got on the call and it was an onboarding session with Les Brown himself. And in that moment, he got on the call and he said, son, what do you want to do with your voice? And I said, sir, I want to be the greatest speaker in the world. That was my dream at the time. And he said, well, son, let's get to work. And that transformed into a one-on-one, -on -one, deeply personal relationship where over the course of the next two years, he and I worked hand in hand together to really craft my ability to deliver a message. Now, here's I'll put the bow on it all. This is how I got to where I am. I started to work with Les and about three months in, I was sharing my story, my message on Clubhouse and other social media platforms. One day, a woman named Heidi sends me a message on Clubhouse. She said, Devin, you ever thought about teaching anybody this? I said, teaching people what? She said, teaching people how to share their story. I said, get out of here, Heidi. I don't teach people how to do that. So I just left the DM alone, and I went, and I checked my bank account. And I was investing so much coaching and doing all these different things, and I saw that I had negative $7 in my bank account. I was like, oh. So I went back to Heidi, and I said, Heidi, were you serious uh, about that? And she said, yeah, I think you could really help a lot of people and make a lot of money. So I was like, all right, cool. So I started to host rooms on Clubhouse talking about storytelling. And sure enough, within a month, I had four people sign up at $119 for a group coaching program that I put together. And for the next year, all that I did was teach people how to share their message and communicate their story. 
But the biggest problem, Richard, was that I taught all of these people how to share their story. And people would graduate from my program and they would know how to share their story. And I thought that they were going to go on and conquer the world. But the one missing piece was that when I taught them how to share their story, the thing that I did not do was give them a platform to be able to share that story. That is where podcasting comes into play. At the time that I realized this, Rich, I was about I was a podcaster for five years at the time. And how this was inspired with me inside of me was listening to James Clear. I was listening Atomic to him. Habits, baby. Atomic Atomic what a great book. I was driving my car and I was listening to an, a podcast episode that he was on. And the host said something that this changed my life. The host asked him a question. They said, James, what do you say no to? And James said, one of the things that I say no to is public speaking engagements. He said, the whole reason why I charge $200,000 an hour is deliberately so people will say no. And the host said, you say no to 200 grand an hour? And he said, yes. He said, you want to know why? Of course, the host said yes. And he said, because when I speak on a stage, when I do the work, the work is done. In other, in other words, when I speak, only the people in that room will be impacted. When I speak, only the people in that room could buy my books. So when I do the work one time, it's dead. There's no leverage. He said, but he turned to the podcast host and he said, do you see what we're doing right now on this podcast? They said, yeah. He said, this, it, what we're doing right now answers this question. What is the work that when I do it just one time will continue to work for me forever? Because what he said was, whoever's listening to this in one year can buy my book. 10 years from now, someone can listen to this and be impacted. So when we think of podcast guesting and being a guest on other people's show, it's the most high leverage activity that we could ever participate in. And that is how I got to where I am, Richard. And uh, that's how I'm here on this call with you, man. All right, we got to go, guys. It's been a great show. Have a nice day. <laughs> you know, and I love it. And um, as you see, I'm writing stuff down because whatever you say is really, truly important to me. And I, too, have a traumatic brain injury, so if I don't write stuff down, I'm going to forget. But, guys, if you don't know Mr. Les Brown, I have, including you, I have four friends that are personal friends with him. Amazing guy. His story is amazing. Um, and you can't help but be inspired by the gentleman. So, guys, if you don't know Les Brown, stop this recording, go check out Les Brown, and come right back. And something you don't know, and I know you don't know this, um, I was in those clubhouse rooms <laughs> when you were giving those clubhouse. I was in your rooms. And I knew I wanted to get with you, and it's taken this long because I, wow. I wanted to hit a certain number before I would even invite you to come on. But I was, I was in the audience, and I never wow. raised my hand in those clubhouse rooms. And I learned a lot. And if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be having the show that I have right now. So I wanted to surprise you with that and say thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, thank you, Rich, man. That, that, that makes me feel really good. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for mentioning that, man. All right, so, you know, let's talk about um, – and because I got so many things I, I really want to talk to you about. Um, one thing I I lost my I lost 80% of my vision, but my hearing's got a lot better. Not according to my wife, but my hearing's got a lot better. <laughs> uh, but you know, you've mentioned God at least three times. So yeah. I also think that you're 
a man of faith. And I just want to point that out. And I just want to say thank you for being a brother, first of all. Absolutely. That's the most important thing because we're going to be together in eternity. But now I also have a lot of people. When I said I'm going to have you on and we're going to be talking about podcasting, I had a lot of people say, what is a podcast? Because even a lot of people, because I'm 54, I, I go out and I talk and I speak a lot. And a lot of people, they don't even know what a podcast even is. So talk to us. Tell somebody what a podcast even is. Yeah. Well, here's what I, when I think about a podcast, this is what I really, I, th I think of. It's a megaphone in which you share your message with the world. Because here's the reality of the situation, Rich. This is why podcasts are so powerful. I'm coming on your show and you have a million downloads. Now, I don't know how many downloads you have a month, but let's say 200,000. So if I'm able to come on your show and share my message with 200,000 people just this month, that's impactful. But here's what's most powerful about being a guest on other people's podcasts or even having your own podcast is that now there's 200,000 people listening to me in one month. But now let's just say just 10% of that 200,000 listen to me over the next 12 months. So now that's 200,000 plus 20,000 extra people that listen to me per month. So what I'm saying is that I'm doing the work with you, Richard, and I'm spreading my message and spending an hour with you. But now that work continues to work for me for forever. So if somebody is looking to amplify their message and they want to do it in the way in a way that allows them to have maximum reach, but also have maximum influence and build authority, having a podcast or being a guest on other people's podcasts is absolutely a no brainer. So imagine like you have this megaphone and you just you speak into it and you blow your met and, and you're able to just share your message. But it doesn't just go out to your yard or to your friend or to your neighbor. You can reach people in 45 countries by simply speaking into this little microphone. So for anybody that's really looking to build authority and really get out there into this world, podcasting is a no brainer. And how do I know that? Because my little, my doggy who's in the background, even he agrees with what I'm saying, Richard. Okay. Even he agrees with what I'm saying, but I say all of that to say this, the times are shifting. It's no longer about just Facebook advertising and posting a reel on social media. Whoever can make the audience feel most understood, whoever can develop the deepest relationship with the audience is the person who will have the most influence. And when we think about where can we find people and develop a relationship with them, it's not with a 30-second reel. It's not with a three-minute ad. It's when you spend 30 minutes listening to somebody's story through a podcast. So for anybody that's really looking to get their message out into the world, this is the megaphone that allows you to communicate that message all over the world with simply just a microphone. You know, and I love it. And I have, cause I, I, I teach people how to podcast. I have my own course coming out, my own books coming out. And somebody asked me, you know, well, why should I be on a podcast or why should I sponsor one of your shows? And I tell them, listen, if you put an advertisement on, say, ESPN, you might see it once or twice, yeah. whatever you pay for. If you put a podcast episode out or if you sponsor a podcast, especially if you're putting it out on YouTube, if you're putting it out on Pinterest, it lives in perpetuity, which means 10 years from now, you might be getting income residuals 
from a podcast you spent one hour doing 10 years ago, you're still making money from it because it doesn't go away. Where if you do a Facebook ad, once your ad spend is done, it's done. You're done. Yep. Or even a Facebook Live because you, you re- they really, once the art, Facebook Live is done, it's done. But once you do a podcast and it goes out on, on wherever you put it out, and especially YouTube, most of the time, if you put a, an interview out on YouTube, it's only going to get more popular over time. Oh, yeah. And more listens. So talk of that because a lot of people don't think long term. They just think, oh, it's an hour of my time. Yeah, but that's something people are going to find 10, 15 years from now. And Richard, that's that's a problem, right? That's a problem because I think that that speaks to what we see in the world a lot of the time. The, the reality of the situation is if you study the most wealthy people, they understand one thing, and that's leverage. Simply one word, leverage. How can I get more out of the effort that I put in? What most people do, Richard, is they spend three hours per post on Instagram and they're praying to the gods that the algorithm will show their stuff to the right people. But in reality, they're not Kim Kardashian. So when you post, the only people that are going to be watching it or seeing it is going to be your dog, your grandma and and your sister. Those people are not going to buy from you. Those people are not going to be inspired by you. And in reality, even if you do have a post go viral, it's going to last for a week and then you're done. But when you're talking about podcasting, exactly like you're saying, let me give you an example. I'll, I'll use a, a, I'll use your podcast, like I was saying, or I'll use another podcast. Like, let's take Entrepreneurs on Fire, another very popular Ooh, podcast. John Lee, I've, I've had John on the show. JLD is a, a beast. He got yeah. about 1.5 million listeners a month. So if you're able to get on his show, you get 1.5 million listeners listening to you that month. But now think about it over the course of the next two years. What could that multiply into, especially if you're able to tell really good stories, be captivating and not just sound like this the entire time, which is what most people do when they go on podcasts, because this is what most people think, Rich. They think I'm just going to go on a podcast and I got this, but that would be like, like saying, I'm just going to go to the gym, but I have no idea how to lift the weights. So it's not just what you say, it's how you say what you say. So content is not king. Content is queen and delivery is king. Your ability to deliver a message and keep people activated and captivated and to transform them both individually and collectively is what will make the difference when you're on a podcast or even if you have your own podcast. Nobody wants to listen to the monotone person, the person that doesn't know how to tell their story or just tells their, the same one over and over again. There's an art and a science to this. And that's really what I admire about you and what you're doing is you're teaching people that. Well, and now I'll, you know, just let everybody know that John Lee Dumas is, is my mentor. He's the mm-hmm. one that's taught me. Um, but also when I had him on my show, a lot of people, if you, when they have him on, cause I watched when I knew I was going to have you on, I've watched almost every interview you've ever done. <laughs> and I've watched, even when John Lee Dumas, I watched every interview that was ever done with him and hardly anybody ever asked him, what was it like being an armor commander in Iraq and losing a tank crew and you coming home and being suicidal? Nobody ever asked him that question. They want to know how you make, how you get in 1.5 million downloads a month. Yep. So when I have somebody come on my show, I'm a little bit different. You know, like when I had Steve Sims come on my show, he says, you're going to talk to me about Elton John. I said, not really. I don't, I really don't care about you and Elton John. I care more about what it was like when you were a 16 year old dating your wife now, who's your beautiful bride right now. And you were a bricklayer at 16 Mm -hmm. and you were poor 
what was that like? He's like, you know what, Richard? He said, you fucker. He said, nobody's ever asked me that question. <laughs> and he said, he said he shared that episode because nobody ever asked him that question. And I think that's why, you know, me and you, we do stuff differently. We don't want to be like everybody else. And everybody yeah. else has the same questions. They ask the same things over and over again. And nobody gets emotionally involved. So nobody's yep. going to watch or share. So talk about that. Getting people emotionally involved, especially with, as a guest, because most people like Steve Sims, he does seven or eight interviews a week. He's not going to share your episode if it's just the same crap question over and over again. So sure. talk about that. As, absolutely. Um, really, being a guest on other people's podcasts, Richard, there's an art and a science to it. And the whole goal behind it, the biggest mistake people make is that they just try to go on a podcast and they try to just demonstrate their expertise. And they try to use all of these big words and they try to be perfect and they especially try not to stumble and bumble over the words. But what they don't realize is that the entire goal of being on a podcast is to make people feel like, they, like you understand them. And the way that you get people to feel like you understand them is showing them that you understand their failures. And how do you show people that you understand their failures is you talk about your own. So that's the first thing is understand that nobody cares about you. What they care about are three things, Richard. Number one, who are you? Number two, what do you have for me? And number three, why should I care? Those are the three things that my mentor shared with me when he called me up 12 hours before my TEDx talk. And he said, Devin, that, that talk, you cannot deliver it because it is terrible. He said, nobody gives a crap about you. Most people, when they go on a podcast, they just talk about, this is how you set up the pixel of the Facebook ad and you do all of these different things. And they just try to demonstrate their expertise, but nobody cares about you. Number one, who are you? Number two, what do you have for me? And number three, why should I care? Why is it relevant to me? So I, I mentioned that because before you go on any podcast, you got to do your research and say, who is Richard's audience? Because every single message that you share has to be customized to that specific audience. What most people do, Richard, is they say, I'm going to develop my signature story. And then they just say the same thing over and over and over again without taking the audience into consideration. But now let me give you some, some, some ninja stuff here. And this is how you really develop a deep relationship with people. It's what I call the storytelling matrix. It's comprised of four parts. So whenever you're thinking about what story do I tell, I want you to take into consideration four things as it relates to your audience. The first of which is, what are the obstacles that my audience currently face? An obstacle could be, I have a nine to five job that takes up a lot of time. An obstacle could be, I have a newborn baby. An obstacle could be, I have an unsupportive husband. Those are all examples of obstacles. Okay, cool. So obstacles, number one, what are the obstacles that my audience is currently facing in their life? Number two, what are their struggles? They struggle to stay motivated. They struggle being disciplined. They struggle eating healthy. They struggle to keep positive. They struggle to, to, to uh, find positive mentors in their life. What are their struggles? Now, someone might be saying, but Devin, I don't, I don't know their obstacles and their struggles. I once heard a quote that really impacted me. It was by a gentleman named Rory Vaden. He said, you are perfectly positioned to help the person that you once were. So when thinking about how do I know their obstacles? How do I know their struggles? Chances are, if you're sharing your message and you're trying to help people, you're trying to help an earlier version of yourself. 
So reflect back on who you used to be. What were your obstacles? What were your struggles? So that's like the top half of the matrix. Now let's talk about the bottom half, the two lower, the two lower quadrants. The, here's where things get, get really spicy. This is what I love. The third thing is what are their thoughts? But I do it a little bit differently. What are their thoughts in specific phrases? Now, I'm going to give you a little insider secret into how I actually use this throughout this episode. So I don't know if the audience heard this, but did you guys catch when I said, and I don't know if anybody has ever said something to themselves like, damn it, I got to do this again. I don't know if I'm going to make it. What's going to happen? Now, here's the key. It's not enough to just know the thoughts that your audience are thinking. You have to be able to define them in specific phrases. So, Richard, this is what I mean. So my audience, when they go home and they just lay down on their, on their pillow at night and they can't fall asleep, what are those thoughts that they're thinking in phrases? Here's an example. Damn it, I really got to go and wake up tomorrow to go to a job. Man, I've been posting on social media so much and it's not working, but this person who just started yesterday, why, why can they be successful all of a sudden? How much longer can I continue to live like this? When is this going to end? Now, here's where this comes into play. This is where it gets, if, if you guys understand this, it will change the game for you. Just remember this one quote. If you don't remember anything from what I say today, it's this. Your job is to verbalize what they internalize. I'm going to say that again. Your job is to verbalize what they internalize. In other words, whenever you share a story or your message, what you want to do is you want to verbalize the thoughts that they're thinking, but they would never dare share with anybody else because they're afraid of being judged, because they're afraid of what's going to happen. They're afraid of the repercussions. So inside, they're screaming with these thoughts, but they would never dare tell anyone because of the, they're afraid of the repercussions. So if you come along and you're able to say and demonstrate through your story, and you're able to pause and say, all I could think was, how much longer is this going to last? The person that's listening is going to say, how does Devin know that? Wait, I'm not alone? And now it doesn't matter if somebody has a better product or service than you. The person is going to want to buy from you because they feel understood. So that's number three. We verbalize what they internalize. And number four, what are their feelings? Here's the key. In specific words. Frustrated, anxious, exhausted, overwhelmed, tired, etc. So now when I'm telling my story, I'm going to say things like this. And as I was sitting there in the park, in the fetal position, all I felt was afraid and desperate and alone. Now, guess what? Those are the feelings that my audience has. So when they hear that I too felt those feelings, they're going to say, wow, that guy's a lot more like me than I thought. So that is what I call my storytelling matrix. So when you're thinking about what story to tell, first place you start is, okay, it's not about me. It's about number one, who are you? Number two, what do you have for me? Number three, why should I care? Okay, now I'm in the mindset of the audience. And now I say, okay, what are their obstacles? What are their struggles? What are their thoughts? What are their feelings? And then what is the story that I have that will reflect back to them 
their obstacles, their struggles, their thoughts, and their feelings. So that's that's really my my best advice. If people just do what I just said, it will have a profound difference on their ability to captivate the audience's attention. You know, and that's something. And you know, and I, I I wrote JLD down, and I circled it, and I crossed it because, uh, like I said, he's my my mentor, and we actually sat down and talking from him, me here, and him in Puerto Rico, and he said he told me because I'm like, all right. I need help. Who is my perfect audience? And he says, if your perfect audience is the person you were five years ago and the mm. person you're going to be five years from now. So, and I actually have a picture in my phone of some random family of a father, a wife, and three kids wearing a uniform because my perfect avatar, his name is Craig. He actually, father of three, veteran, 43 years old brand new business owner. So every time that I have a show, that's who I'm talking to is Craig. Right. So I, I know that whoever I have on, whatever subject we're talking about, it's all going to come back to Craig. So yeah. that's, so, so that's what you're talking about. But first, before we even uh, get on, cause I want to get a little bit deeper because they call me GI Joe Rogan. So I want to go a little <laughs> bit deeper. Uh, guys, I came out with my own coffee. Um, as you see, I've been drinking it here. It's called Vertical Momentum Resiliency Coffee. It's twice the amount of caffeine, no crash. It's all veteran hand roasted. And the best part of it is I make no money off of it. Zero dollars I make. For every bag that I sell, we're going to take that money and we're going to take 12 veterans and their families. We have a place in, in, in uh, Illinois right now. We're going to take 12 families and their veterans. Take care of them physically, mentally, spiritually, and financially for one year at zero cost to the veteran. So, guys, if you love coffee, there's some great coffees out there. But if you like coffee, great coffee with a mission, write coffee down below, and I'm going to get that information to you. And I appreciate you. We've sold out multiple times. And one, one of my guests bought 500 bags just to be able to help veterans like that. So guys, I just want to say, if you love coffee, write that down. You know, write coffee down below, and we'll get that information to you. So David, let's talk about this a little bit because um, I see the. I mean, I'm, I'm an analytical guy now. The average podcast last 13 episodes. Uh, if you stay in in the in within 20 episodes, um, you're in the, like the top 10 percent worldwide. There's four million podcasts out there but only 500,000 have released an episode in the last 90 days. And it's because a good episode, a good, a good podcast takes work. Like for me, it takes work to get, to get guests, which I don't have to anymore because my brother's hooking me up, but to do the background work, you have to be able to do graphics. You have to learn to do, to do, it, learning your interview style, like for me, I've taken courses by John Lee Dumas, Eric Allen, Sean Douglas, I've uh, Travis Johnson. I've taken about 10 podcast courses because I want to be the best at what I do. And that's why podcasts don't last that long because people don't realize you got to put in the reps and you got to put in the work. So talk to us about launching a successful podcast not just a podcast. 
Yeah, Richard, you know, my specialty is is in helping people get onto podcasts, but this is good because guess what? Long before I started helping people get onto podcasts, I started my own podcast back in 2018 and, and we're in the top 1%. Don't have as many downloads as you. One day, one day, Richard. But I say all of that to say this. I've interviewed, you name the person, I've pretty much interviewed them on my podcast. And this is what I learned. And this is actually the secret as well to understanding podcast guesting, getting on other people's shows. So the thing that people have to realize is if you want to grow quickly, you got to have big guests on your show. That's just the name of the game. That's how it is. Unless you're Kim Kardashian, if you just start your own solo podcast, the only people that are going to be watching are your dog, your turtle, and your rabbit, right? There's not going to be anybody listening to the show. So you need to have some heavy hitters. I want to talk about how do you get those heavy hitters on your show? Well, this is how you do it. You understand what people desire. So let's think about it this way. And when I started getting people on podcasts, I started not with the like beginners. I started with people at the top of their industry. And this is exactly what I knew. I said, okay, what do I have? This is a question that everybody has to ask themselves. What do I have that they don't have? Or what do I have that they want more of? So when starting a podcast, remember what we were talking about earlier? That when you post a podcast episode, the person who's the guest has the opportunity to gain an audience over the course of the next 10 years. So now when we go and we pitch a podcast guest and we say, hey, I want you on my show. Here's what most people do, Rich. Hey, um, I just started this podcast. Uh, I'm looking for guests on the show. Would you like to be one? But does that touch the desire of the person at all? No. Instead, what you want to say is this. Hey, Rich, uh, Devin Rodriguez, I have a podcast called The Storypreneur Podcast. Um, we talk all about entrepreneurship and business, and I think that you would be the absolute perfect fit for my show. Now, what we do is actually really special. Not only do we give you access to our audience, but we also will help you promote your products and services on our podcast, and we are very passionate about helping our guests monetize. So I know you get pitched a lot to go on a lot of podcasts, but I would really love to help you share your message, your mission, and help you monetize just a little bit more. Let me know if you would like to be a guest on the show. Now they're like, oh, I can go and make money from being a guest on this person's show. Oh, I can actually get my build my audience versus what most people do. You want to be a guest on my show? Let me know. It's like, uh, no. But when you frame it in terms of what's the benefit? What, how can this reach their desire? Every famous person wants more fame. Every rich person wants more money. Every poor person wants more money. So if you can, the two most powerful human drivers are status and wealth. Well, I know status is definitely number one. Wealth, it's definitely up there. So if you can frame whatever it is that you do in a way that will help show people that they will elevate their status and make more money, it's very hard for people to say no, Richard. So what we have to do as podcast hosts is frame our pitch in a way that will show the guest that you are going to have an increased status in the eyes of the audience and therefore grow your own audience. And then number two, you have the potential to make money as a result of being a guest on my podcast. So I'll give you an example of what I do. I had a podcast episode. I posted it on YouTube and it blew up. It got like 100,000 downloads with someone named Myron Golden. He is incredible. If you have not interviewed him yet, you yes. have to interview he is incredible. Anyways, I promoted his product. I made tens of thousands of dollars as an affiliate of his. So now guess what? When I go to people and I pitch them to be a guest on my show, 
Here's what I say. I would love to promote your product and service. In fact, over the course of the past year, I've generated tens of thousands of dollars for people like Myron Golden. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. I can make money. But even if you haven't done that, what I recommend is saying, hey, we love to promote our guest products and services so that you can get something out of this as well. So not only will we help you build your audience, but we will help you put more money in your pocket. And when you do that, people will say yes to you. Like I've interviewed like crazy people. They say yes. And you're like, how did that happen? It's because you framed it in a way that made them want to come on rather than begging them to come on. So all of that to say, when launching your show, try to get the big dogs on. And the way that you do that is you frame it in a way that makes makes it advantageous to them, not just you. Now, I, no, no, you know, going to be totally open and honest. You know, when I started my podcast, it was from Anchor and it was audio only, and I had I started no the same clue, way, and I had no clue what I was doing. But I did things a little bit different because I moved to New Jersey and I knew nobody except for my wife. I had zero Facebook friends. I had zero friends, period. So what I had, I wanted to start a podcast, but had no idea where to start because there weren't courses back, you know, five, six years ago, as much as they are today. So what I started doing is I started a, a, the podcast. And if, say, if I wanted to have Russell Brunson on, I actually bought all his books and I actually read them all took pictures of his books, put a buying link and promoted on all social media and didn't ask for a thing until all of a sudden he started seeing, Hey, who's this Richard Kaufman do? Why is he always promoting my stuff? And then I would say, Hey, Russell, I see you got a new book coming out. I would love to have you come on the show to promote your new book. And all of a sudden people are like, I already seen you promoting my stuff already. You invested in me. So why wouldn't I invest some time in you? So that that's why that's how I first got started. You know, that's how we've had Steve Sims, Sharon Lecter, you know, all those other big hitters that have come on, David Meltzer. But for me, it's creating relationships. Like if I wasn't friends with Greg Reed, I wouldn't be able to be friends with Sharon Lecter. I wouldn't be able to interview the interview, the drummer for Def Leppard or the guy that just directed the sound of freedom. Because of the, the relationships I built. And I Absolutely. see a lot of people that have podcasts, as soon as the guest is gone and their episode is released, it's over. Where for me, we're you know, we're friends. Now I want to generate uh, generational relationships. So talk about relationships because if I know Devin knows somebody and I see somebody was on your De Devin show and I'd be like, hey, bro. I would love to have Myron come on the show. Can you hook it up? You would because we built a relationship. Absolutely. And, and we, and like, you know, I guess it's a, it's a Navy term, but you know, like a rising tide, all ships lift. So talk about that as building relationships even after the episode has aired. Richard, I, this is, um, this is something that has changed my life, right? Because this is how I got started in my business. I, so as, as you know, Richard, I, I help get people on really big podcasts like your own, but I don't think I've shared with you how it started. And it all started two years ago when Les Brown was my mentor, still is my mentor. He was like, 
the relationship he and I built, he would just call me on the phone and check on me. Hey, Devin, how you doing? He was like another, he was like a grandpa to me. So I was like, man, how can I repay this dude? So here's the problem. When building relationships, especially with people that are at a higher level than you, this is what people think. They think that they have to go and ask the person, what can I do for you? In reality, all that you're doing when you do that is you're asking them to do more work and these people are already busy. Therefore, they do not have time to do more work, so they're never going to reply. So what you need to do is you need to figure out what do they lack that I have? So here's what I did. I went out. I said, damn it. How, how can I kind of like repay this dude? How can I repay Les Brown? Like he got it all. He got the money. He got, he got everything. What can I do for him? So this idea just popped into my head. I was like, what if I got him on Entrepreneurs on Fire? So I went on eofire.com and I was looking. I was like, where do I find the, found the email. And I said, okay, I pretty much just said this. Hi, John, would you like to have Les Brown on your show? Surprisingly, he personally responded to me. I was like, no, this can't be real. And he said, I would love to have Les Brown on the show. Here's the booking link. I went back to Les Brown and I said, Les, I got you on a podcast, one of the biggest of all time. He said, really? I said, yeah, here's the link. Go have fun. Book it. Here's the point. I did something for him without asking what he wanted. I did something for him without asking if I could. I did something and I just brought him the final product. Once I did that, I did the same thing for Dennis Waitley. Not sure if you know who he is. He is the he sold the most audio tapes of all time, 100 million downloads, uh, 100 million copies of The Psychology of Winning. Done the same thing for Brian Tracy, right? And all of these different people. And here's the thing. When you do something for somebody else, it's inevitable that it will come back to you. You just don't know where it's going to come from. So I'll, here's recently where this all came together. I was really taking this seriously in terms of helping people get up booked on other people's podcasts. And I went to a gentleman named Tanner Chittister, who, by the way, talking about buying all their stuff, over the course of the past year, I've invested $30,000 in just his stuff. So I went to him and I said, Tanner, um, I want to get you on podcasts. And he was like, yeah, but I don't want to pay you. I was like, oh, that's no big deal. I don't want to be paid. And over the course of the next 30 days, Mind you, before I started doing that, I was in a place where if I pulled out my journal right now, you would see how close I was to quitting. I was desperate. I was afraid, to be honest, because I'm getting out of the military in about nine months. But I said, you know what? Brian Tracy once told me this. He said, Devin, just give until it hurts. Yep. And when it starts to hurt, I want you to give some more. So I started to say, how can I give to people? So I said, Tanner, I'm going to get you on podcast in 15 days. I mean, excuse me, in 30 days, we got him on 15 of the top 100 business podcasts in the world. Yeah, we were one yours, of them. Yours is one of them. Guess what happened? My business went from me in a place where I was like literally stuck generating no money to now going to have probably my, six, my first six-figure month. And I don't share that to say like, Wow, that's so impressive. I share all of that to say because that was built off of a relationship, off of something that I did for free. Zero. But most people won't do that because why? It's hard work. Not being paid for something. Waking up, sending emails, being rejected. Waking up, sending emails, being told no. Waking up, getting on a plane, buying your own plane ticket, spending two grand on this, two grand on that. He's not paying for me. I got to show up. 
But what I told myself was, this is what's required to do it. So in terms of building relationships and fostering relationships, whether it be after the podcast episode is done or just in life, number one, realize how you can connect people with one another. That is the most valuable thing that you can ever do is be a connector of people. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter where you are. Simply just connect people with one another and you will, be, you will instantly become one of the most valuable people in that circle. Number two, do the work for people and present them with the finished product. It's that simple. Stop overcomplicating it. And in terms of really answer your question, which was how to build that relationship over time, even after the podcast episode is done, it's simple. Check up on them. Tell them happy birthday. How are you doing? What's going on? Nice to see you. Seems like you're doing well. It doesn't take much, guys. It's just being a human. That's why I posted the other day. I was like, the best way to, to get better at sales is to stop being weird. When most people go on show, on they're selling, they're like, well, I got to do this crazy sales objection. Or they think, well, my tonality has to rise. It's like, no, just like be a human being and like check on the person. Like, hey, you seem a little scared. You okay? Like, that's way better than some crazy closing technique. So just be a human, check up on the person like they're just a friend and you'll you'll see how your relationship will build. And, you know, and so let's talk about that a little bit because um, that's something I, when I, every morning I wake up, I spend two hours in my business. The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I see all the comments and I reply to every single comment that a person sends me. Because they took the time out, even if it was their five seconds to reply. So I make sure that I, I reply to every single comment. And now I think we have almost 10,000 followers on Facebook. And every day I go into birthdays. And I make sure that I wish all my, because I, I don't have followers, I have friends. So I make sure that every day I, I direct message every one of them. Hey, happy birthday. Just thinking about you. Not trying to sell anything. I just want to let you know that you're loved and appreciated. And then I do the same thing on their timeline, just to know, so they know that they're loved. And and but what Facebook says, Rich, great job. Guess what? We're gonna pop them right into the top of your algorithm. <laughs> so every day my algorithm is new, and not because I'm trying to do it for that reason. That's just a gift from Mr. Zuckerberg, but it's showing my people, hey. Rich is thinking about me today. He does this every year and he makes sure that he knows that my I'm worthy and that I'm grateful to be his friend. So talk about that because a lot of people don't even really know about it or don't act upon it or just don't use it. Properly. Yeah. Properly. Yeah, Properly. Yeah, Richard. Not, 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 not like LinkedIn where people are just sending you bots and stuff to make you right. get sales, but just to let people know, hey, I'm thinking about you. I love your post, whatever. Direct message is the best way to go as long as you're not that spammy yeah. dude. I mean, the reality is that's how I build my entire business, Richard, is through is through direct message, right? I haven't spent any money on ads. I'm going to, but I haven't yet. Um, and the way that I've done it is just built off straight off relationships. Like, that's it. Like The way that you have to look at this is it's not simple, but you just have to do things differently than everybody else. And the reality of the situation is everybody's going into people's DMs and being like, hey, I got this thing. You want to buy it? Hey, I got this thing. I, you know, you, you are. the best one is like when they send you something like this, looks like you're a coach. How long have you been doing that? Like, all right, guy, I know what's coming next. You're just going to pitch me. So what I personally like to do is I just like to be a human being. Like, Rich, 
what I would do right now, if I wanted to get your attention, I would screenshot this and I would zoom in on your hat and I would take up and I would zoom in on the logo of your hat and I would send it to you. And I'll be like, oh, hey, Rich, bro, what, what brand hat is that? Guess what you're going to do? You're going to reply because you're going to tell me what kind of hat that is. So what I'm saying is like, look at ways in which you can draw people's attention, but also do it in an authentic way. Like, don't just try to get in somebody's DM because you want to make some money. Get into somebody's DM because you want to see how you can help the person. And here's the thing. What a lot of people think is, yeah, unless I sell them something, I can't help them. That's not true. I think the definition of help is doing something even if there's no benefit to you. So how can you help them? Maybe you maybe, um, maybe you just tell them, hey, like here's a podcast I think you can get on. Or hey, maybe this thing could help you. But also here's the thing. The reason why people don't do it is because 99, well, I would say about 70% of people are not going to respond. And they're like, this doesn't work. This is not going to work. But when you do it like Rich is talking about and you say, hey, dude, happy birthday. Hey, I just saw you got, you got married. Congratulations. Where's the honeymoon? Oh, man, I saw you had a baby girl. She looks so cute. What's her name? Now people are going to engage in a conversation. So what I'm saying is get people to talk about themselves and then they'll talk with you. Like it's the most miraculous thing. Like when you just stop focusing on what can I get and focus on something about them, it's like, like the heavens open or something. It's incredible. It's simple. I wish I could make it more complex. But remember, Rich, what I said earlier, just be a human. Like you wouldn't go up to a girl and be like, you want to buy my stuff? You'd be like, no, like, hey, you look so pretty today. I hope you're doing well. Right? Like, you look really great. Has anyone told you that today? It's the same thing as saying, hey, I saw you had kids. What's their names? Be a human. Stop overcomplicating the process. Stop thinking you need another course. Stop thinking you need another video. Stop thinking you need another book. In, in reality, it's all saying the same stuff, but we can, what we continue to do is we just continue to replay information in hopes that it inspires us to do something new. But what we fail to realize is that nothing on the outside can inspire us as much as stuff on the inside can inspire us. So what we need to start to do is thinking about, okay, like the way that I think sometimes, Rich, is what is the alternative if I don't do this? Well, I'm going to have to work for somebody else and I damn well don't want to do that. And a lot of the time that will propel me into sending a birthday message, responding to a comment, doing all these different things where people re rely on motivation. But what happens when motivation is no longer there? And I know even sometimes myself, I don't feel motivated. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get up. I don't want to send the message. I don't want to do the work. I don't want to do this. Sometimes I'll be real. Sometimes I let it win. I do. But what I try to remind myself is, okay, what is the alternative of this? What will happen if I do not do this? So that's what I'll say to that, Rich. Don't overcomplicate it, people. Be a person. Talk like you would talk to a friend. Talk like you would walk up, walk up to a boy or a girl and just be, be friends with them. That's it. Simple. All right. So, you know, let's, you know, uh, I'm very respectful of your time, but I'm enjoying our conversation. I love it. Come on, let's go. Uh, you know, Steve Sims is a great friend of mine. I just had his son on and, uh, last week and we were talking about how, with AI, you know, everybody is doing the AI and every people are starting to become antisocial on social media where I do. You know, I learned from Steve that, you know, as soon as me and you hang up. I'm going to go handwrite a thank you card. Yeah. And send it to your house from me. It's not one of those hand to let you know, just to let you know, hey, bro, I appreciate you. And a lot of people, when they get them cards. They hang them up on the refrigerator. They show them on social media because who gets a card anymore? Nevertheless, a thank you card. So, I, you know, I think people, if you want to be successful, sometimes you got to do things other people. And the way I learned that is because I was on my friend Eric Allen's show.
He sent me something beautiful. I was uh, my friend Dennis Yu. I had him on the show. He actually sent me socks with my picture on it. So every time I open my sock drawer, I'm thinking of Dennis Yu. So you know, sometimes you know, if everybody else is zigging, we zag. I want you to talk about that, but then I also want you to talk about, you know, I see a lot of podcasts that have all these downloads, and I go into iTunes or Spotify. Three ratings, three written reviews. Like, I think we're at something like 580 five-star written reviews. Um, it's, but, and I also have people, you know, I save, like, when um, I had uh, Mr. Dean, when he actually sent me a message, hey, bro, loved your show. You know, a lot of people don't create social proof. You know, yeah. they, they don't create, you know, like, when Dean sends you, hey, great show or mr Meltzer says hey you know you got to listen to this show a lot of people don't create social proof or they don't even get their their podcast rated i mean you know ranked or written reviews that's going to kick them up in the algorithm so talk yeah. about that a little bit and it's free yeah. it doesn't yeah. cost you a penny yeah richard the reality of the situation is people like people think they're kim kardashian they start a podcast and they're like everybody's gonna listen to it when I started a podcast, nobody listened to it for the first three years. The first three years. And then I woke up one day and here's what I said. Huh, why don't I get some reviews and ratings for my show? And this is literally what I did. I went to people's inbox and I said, hello, I'm Devin. I have a podcast, Looking to Grow podcast. Think you will like podcasts. Please listen to podcasts and will you leave me a review? Question mark. 50% of people said yes. And in one month, got 200 ratings, <laughs> right? Just by asking for the rating and the review, simple. But most people won't do that. Why? Because they think it's more complicated than that. So social proof is everything. The way that we make a determination of which restaurant is the best, we go on Google and we look at which has the most reviews. We look at the pictures. We, we, we look at the, if, if one club has a line down the block, the other club doesn't have a line. You're going to think that the club with a line down the block is better than the club with no line. Why? Because there's one where people are waiting to get in the other where there's nobody even in the place. So our, our reality is shaped by what we see other people enjoying, what we see other people doing. But not only that, our reality is shaped by the perception of how, we will fit into these things based upon like the number or the social proof that's required. For example, if I get on Richard's podcast immediately, what I'm going to think is now my status is elevated versus if I just went on a beginner's podcast, it's just like, ah, I just went on another podcast. So people want to be put in scenarios where they're working with people that will elevate their status. Here's a point. Here's an example. When I started working with Les Brown, Brian Tracy, Tanner Chittister, Noah Kagan, Derek Fay, all very big, 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 big names in the entrepreneurship space, I worked for them for free. Why? Because I knew it was a massive opportunity, a massive opportunity. But the problem is, is that most people miss an opportunity because there isn't a paycheck attached to it. I didn't have to be paid to do work for them because I knew that standing next to them and taking a picture will do more for me and my business than a paycheck ever would. But most people won't do that because they 
want money now. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, delayed gratification and people just want stuff now. Social proof, you can get it quick, but you also have to delay probably some money. You probably have to delay some immediate stuff. For example, if you want to get some testimonials, some feedbacks and whatever, go to five people and say, hey, I want to help you out for free in exchange for a testimonial. You down? Of course, they're going to say yes. But most people won't do it. Why? Because it's hard. Because there isn't any immediate reward and people can't delay the gratification that's involved in the process. But when you understand that not all opportunities come with a paycheck attached to it, that's when my life changed. I just sent a DM to one of my mentors, Neo Davis, Nehemiah Davis. You got to have him on your show. Great, great guy. Very big. And you got to hook it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he's for real, man. You would love him. And I heard him two years ago say that quote. He said, never miss an opportunity just because a paycheck isn't attached to it. And that just stuck in my head. And then whenever these opportunities to cut came about to get Brian Tracy on the number one marketing podcast and Entrepreneurs on Fire for the third time, when it came to get Tanner Chittister on these 15 different podcasts in 30 days, I said, this is an opportunity for me. I'm going to help this person and I'm going to do my very best and treat them as if they are paying me. But I know that there is an opportunity in this, but it was free. Most people won't do it because why? They want money now. Just going back to what we were talking about, how do you create leverage in your life? Leverage isn't created by doing something today and seeing the result tomorrow. Leverage is created by doing something today and seeing results in the future. So that's that's really what I would say to that, Richard. All right. So the last couple of questions I have is this is this is a teaching podcast. And like I said, Craig is listening. So and I think you're a young version of Craig because you're about to get out of the military. Yeah. Um, so if you if you would go back five years, if you were to talk to Craig or Private Joe Snuffy, just about to get out of the military on November 29th. 2023 what would your top three pieces of advice if they want to go and get out into the corporate world or start their own podcast or guest their own podcast what would be your top three pieces of advice for a brother in arms if he came to sit and says bro what can i do to become successful yeah the first thing is start now right because what most people do in reality in the military and I've seen this as like in my platoons and stuff is that they wait until the very last minute in order to try to develop a plan. So you got to start to think right now. If you know you're getting out in 12 months, start to think right now, okay, what is possible for me to do? You got to take advantage of all of the programs that the military has to set you up for success. There's the career skills program. There's all of these different programs in which you can go intern with, an, with a company where you can go learn all of these different skills, but you have to start now until it's too late. So don't put off something till tomorrow, that which can be done today. Do it now. So that's the very first thing. Act with a sense of urgency because guess what? I know October 1st, 2024 is coming right around the corner. I do not have time to wait. That's kind of like a simple thing. Just start it now. But number two, if you want to go into corporate, like here's the thing. If you want to get into corporate, like do the whole resume thing, start to connect with people on LinkedIn. There's a really good website called Veterati, veterati.com, V-E-T-A-R-A-T-I, veterati.com. And what that allows you to do is for people in the military, you can get a bunch of mentors who are in that specific industry, in that specific space for completely free of charge. So if you want to go into corporate, don't you think it would be wise to get a mentor who was already in 
corporate. So just go to veterati.com, especially if you're in the military right now, and go ahead and go get a mentor. Why do I say that? Because in reality, number one, you make a decision like I'm going to start today. Number two, you start to align yourself with mentors. And then number three, you start to develop the skills that are required to be successful in that area. So if I know that I want to leave and I want to be a car salesman, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to wait until I get out to start learning how to sell. What I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start taking courses on Udemy. I'm going to start reaching out to mentors. I'm, start, I'm going to start doing all of these different things. And I'm going to start to develop these skills. Because in reality, the great thing about the military is it's very hard to become unemployed because it's a very secure job. Unless you get a DUI, you do drugs, you do something crazy, then you'll get kicked out. But it's not like that in the civilian world. <laughs> it's not I like did that. that. It's I, got, like I got that. back in, but I did. There, there you go. But But it's not like that in the civilian world. You get fired like this. They can just dispose of you just because you don't put up numbers or whatever the case may be. So what people need to ask themselves is how can I become indispensable? And the way that you become indispensable is by acquiring skills that other people do not have. So if I were to recommend and do my whole journey back over again, I would have started learning how to sell at a much earlier age because your ability to influence and move people is transferable to any industry that you're in. So number one, get started today and don't wait until six months from now to try to develop a plan when you're about to just get out. That does not work. And what I've seen with those people, I actually had an instance of this, someone in my platoon. He's like, yeah, I'm getting out, I'm getting out, I'm getting out. I'm like, all right, man, what's the plan? What's the plan? What's the plan? I don't know, I'll figure it out. Got out of the military, two weeks later, came back into the military because he had no plan, nothing to step into because he waited till the last minute. So number one, make the decision that you're gonna start today. Number two, get a mentor. You can go to veterati.com. There's a bunch of different websites out there that will enable you with being in the military to get a mentor free of charge. And number three, start to take courses and coaching and invest any excess money you have in learning the skills. If you're going into entrepreneurship, marketing and sales, marketing and sales, marketing and sales, marketing and sales. That's it. Those three things, in my opinion, that is the advice that I would give it to private Joe Snuffy who's about to get out. I love it. And, you know, and also, guys, if you don't know, if you're a veteran, LinkedIn will give you a free paid membership just like for by a year. being a veteran, and you can have all those courses. And I've been there for five years, and they've never asked me to stop with my courses. So I've been taking five five, five courses for, for years. Are you serious? Being a veteran. Yeah, they, they never ask you to, they never ask you, they never cut it off. So I think they cut great. me off. <laughs> I guess I'm special. But also there's there's people out there like Dean Bunchu from Bunker Labs. Amazing. If you want to be a veteran, if you want to go on Facebook, there's a group I'm part of called Vetpreneur Tribe, 16,000 strong veteran. So there's just help out there, but you got to go seek the work. So, brother, I just want to say thank you. I'm so humbled for your friendship and uh, thank you for what you've already done for me just in the last week. You've sent me like three killer, killer interviews, and now they're my friends. So I just mm. want to say thank you. And you never asked for anything for me. And that's wow. why I just want to keep on doing for you because you never asked me for anything. So I just want to publicly say thank you and say thank you, Tanner. Awesome interview, by the way. One of the best interviews I've ever had. Guys, make sure you check out that interview. So, brother, I just want to say thank you. Dude, thank you. This is an incredible experience. And, and man, you asked some really awesome questions. This was one of the most fun podcasts that I've ever done. And I've done a lot of them. So, man, I now I understand 
being here on the other side of the screen, why your show is so successful. It's because of your ability to really guide and facilitate a conversation. It's something special, man. So then how do we find you? How do we support you? How, if we want to start getting on podcasts or start getting guests from you, how do we get in touch with you to support your mission? Sure. So I'm really starting to break into LinkedIn now. So what I want everybody that's listening, I want to do something very special for all of you. Now, typically, this is something that I only give away to people that pay me tens of thousands of dollars. And you can't find this anywhere on the internet, even if you looked. So typically what I do, Richard, is I give people what I call my podcast pitch secrets, but I only give them one half of it. If you were to go to podcastpitchsecrets.com and download it, you're only getting half. But what I want to do for your audience, since they've been here for an hour and eight minutes, is I want to give them not just half of my system. I want to give them my entire podcast pitch secrets system so that they can go start getting on other people's podcasts for free. And all that they have to do in order to do that, I want you to send me a message on LinkedIn. My name is Devin, D-E-V-E-N, Devin Rodriguez. And all I want you to do is send me the word momentum. So once again, if you want access to my complete podcast pitch secrets program, all you have to do is go to LinkedIn, go to Devin Rodriguez, send me over a connection request with the message just saying momentum, and I'll know you came from Rich's show, and I'll be able to grant you full access to my podcast pitch secrets course. Wow, that's amazing. And and I'm I think we have almost 30,000 followers on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn, and we're actually putting a course together or a seminar. We're going to have Joshua B. Lee, we're going to have his wife, sure. and we're going to have Jordan Mendoza come come on and and I would love to have you be part of that. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. All right, Devin. Thank you, brother. And guys, make sure you check out his Facebook profile. I mean, he's always dropping golden nuggets. I love it. I'm watching every episode. I'm watching everything he's doing. Make sure you check out Tanner. Check out our episode. And guys, like I say, you know, vertical momentum, um, the only way to go is butt up. And this episode is going to drop next week. So make sure you go to verticalmomentumpodcast.com and you'll find this episode. And this episode is going to be on 20 four different social media platforms. So make sure I don't care if you if you read, if you watch videos, it's going to be everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, Flickr, it's going to be everywhere. So make sure that you go to that. It's all going to be in one website. Check our website out. Brother, thank you so much and thank you for your friendship. Love it, man. Pleasure being here. Peace out, guys. All right, keep keep crushing it, brother. Love you. Hey, I appreciate it, Rich. Thank you, man. Please let me know when it comes out. If there's anything that I can, uh, I want to help you promote it. I, this was a great, great interview, man. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you for the time, man. This was awesome. I love you, brother. Oh man. I love you too, man. Thanks for everything. And thank you for continuing to work with me with guests. It makes a big difference for me and what I do. So thank you for uh, just being a, a great friend and someone that I could always rely on. And it's only the beginning. <laughs> Let's do it, man. I'll see you later, brother.